today's the first of the month. That's right. It's February 1st. You're listening to Born on This Day. I'm Marco Timpano. And I'm Bill Antoniou. And Bill, I'm so happy to be doing today's episode with you because today I want to wish you a happy National Baked Alaska Day. Well, thank you, Marco. Do you know I've never had one? Oh, you've never had one? No, I don't even know if I've ever seen one. I know what it is, um, but I don't think it, yeah, I don't think I've ever had one. Okay, I'll tell you this. They're very disappointing, Bill. Yes, but, you know, as we said the other day, this was like the most popular dessert in like the late 60s. And um, it's just something that only that era could produce. You know, like it's overly complicated and not that rewarding. And if you don't know what a baked Alaska is, it is a dessert that's made with hard ice cream on the base of a sponge cake and covered with a shell of toasted meringue. Oftentimes Mm. they would light the meringue in front of you, like on a cruise ship. If you watched any episode of The Love Boat, it was always the (laughs) featured dessert. I think it's also one of those things that's only good if it's made individually for you. Like if it's made in large quantities for a huge party, it sucks so much more. What happens is when you eat it, because it looks so glorious, and then you're just chomping through a lot of ice cream on sponge cake, and you're kind of like, what's the point of this? It's all ice cream. I'm not a huge meringue fan either. Okay. Depending on the, like, it's better on a pie, but yeah, I don't want it. I don't know. Again, uh, desserts and foods of that era, I find are all, like, I remember when my piano teacher served me um, salad that had, like, jelly, like, um, like, jello in it, in the actual salad. I'm like, I know exactly what period of time you are from. You know, yeah. how are your print piano skills? They're pretty good. I haven't played in a oh, while. I give my piano to my sister, but they're pretty good. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, listen, if you were born on this day, your personality is characterized by honesty and creativity. Your friends and family appreciate your honest and your honesty, which is complemented with a genuine admiration for your imagination and creativity. Yeah. Once again, Bill, I feel like this is made up when you don't know anything nice to say about someone. <laughs> yeah. You say, Look, it's January, February, sure kind of a dead zone for feelings. So they got, they really got to scrape the bottom of the barrel for descriptions for people. Indeed. Um, well, celebrating a birthday today, Sherilyn Fenn is best known for her role as Audrey Horn on Twin Peaks, the role which elevated her to fame and earned her Golden Globe and Emmy nominations. It led to her starring in the films Of Mice and Men, Three of Hearts, and the notorious Boxing Helena. She later starred on the series Rude Awakening, was a recurring guest on Gilmore Girls, Magic City, and Ray Donovan, and returned to Twin Peaks in 2017. Last year, she was on Goliath and was born on this day in Detroit, Michigan in 1965. Michael C. Hall is a graduate of NYU's Master of Fine Arts program in acting who appeared on one episode of the soap opera As the World Turns before landing the role that made him famous as younger brother David on Six Feet Under, which earned him an Emmy nomination. Following that show's ending, he had even more success on Dexter, uh, an eight-season run for which he won a Golden Globe and received six more Emmy nominations. He also appeared in the films Kill Your Darlings, Christine, Game Night, and In the Shadow of the Moon. He was born on this day in Raleigh, North Carolina in 1971. Harry Styles is an English singer, songwriter, and actor whose career began in 2010 as a solo contestant on the British music competition series The X Factor. He was brought back to join the boy band One Direction, with which he had great success. In 2017, he released his self-titled debut solo album, and it opened at number one in the US and UK, and was one of the year's top ten selling albums. That's him calling right now. 
Concurrent with hit song Sign of the Times was his successful acting debut in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, followed by his second album, Fine Line, in 2019, and its hit single, Watermelon Sugar. He recently was the first man to grace the cover of Vogue magazine. He was born on this day in Evesham, England in 1994. Oh, wow. Linus Roach studied acting at the Central School of Speech and Drama before making his film debut in No Surrender in 1985. He gained notice in the mid-90s for his role in the 1994 film Priest, then appearing in the Oscar-nominated adaptation of Henry James's the Wings of the Dove in 1997. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for the TV role RFK, played Batman's father in Batman Begins, and later appeared on Law and & Order and Law & Order SVU from 2008 to 2012, The Champagne Seasons. Later, he appeared on the hit series Vikings and is currently on Homeland. He was born on this day in Manchester, England in 1964. Polly Shore's mother, Mitzi, ran the comedy store, and it led the way for his own path to comedy. Doesn't that explain everything? Beginning as a stand-up whose comedy albums were successful with college students. This led to his MTV show, Totally Polly, and his HBO specials, Polly Does Dallas, before having his breakout in movies in the comedy Encino Man. He starred in Son-in-Law, In the Army Now, Jury Duty, Biodome, and Curse of Inferno, his film career declining as his comedic style grew out of fashion with young audiences. His sitcom Polly was cancelled before its first season was over, but he made his way back with appearances on Nash Bridges and Futurama and releasing the film Polly Shore is Dead. Most recently, he was in Sandy Wexler and Guest House and was born on this day in Hollywood, California in 1968. And Bill, I always thought he was such a douchebag when he was on films and stuff. I would never watch anything he was in. It's just never my brand of humor. I just yeah. never found him funny. Look, he's probably a really nice guy, but that persona or that personage it was like, ugh. But to find out that um, his, like, he's the son of the woman who ran like one of the most important comedy venues of its era... I'm like, okay, well, that makes, I don't mean to denigrate him too much, but it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, you might remember I mistaken our next celebrant for Cary Grant. Yep, uh, I certainly yep. do remember that, Marco. In fact, there are many people spinning in their graves because of you. <laughs> yep. Well, in his day, he was the top male box office draw, and he's still just as famous today. Clark Gable toured in stock companies while working jobs as a salesman and in oil fields before moving to Hollywood to pursue acting seriously. He became friends with Lionel Barrymore, who helped get him signed to MGM in 1930, playing small parts before Joan Crawford chose him to co-star in Dance Fool's Dance and made him popular, after which Red Dust with Gene Harlow made him the studio's biggest star. So he really owes his career to Joan Crawford, it sounds In like. a way, yeah. 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 I think they had in an affair as well. Oh, good for them. In fact, them. I believe she said that he was like the love of her life by the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, in 1934, he won the Best Actor Oscar for It Happened One Night, starred in Mutiny on the Bounty, then in 1939 became legendary as Rhett Butler in the most popular film of all time, Gone with the Wind. Starring and Cary I can't Grant. I can't believe you haven't seen that film yet, Bill. It's so good. <laughs> um, you're confusing me with your wife. <laughs> yeah. I told her one day, I said, we're going to sit and we're going to watch Gone with the Wind. It's so I'm good. I'm amazed that she hasn't seen it at least once. That's really weird. Yeah. 
Ugh, I don't know. What are you going to do? He continued his successful career in the films The Huck Suckers, <laughs> The Tall Men, and the remake of Red Dust, Mogambo. I don't know what the hell that is. In 1960, in the 1960 film, it started in Naples with Sophia Loren, and uh, that was his last film, which was released while he was still alive. He died of a heart attack that year at the age of 59, and his last film, The Misfits with Marilyn Monroe, was released a year later. He he was born on this day in Cadiz, Ohio, in 1901. Mm-hmm. He, he he died very young. I didn't think he, he did. Yeah. Young. Well, it's he looked a lot older than his that age, and so we don't always realize that he died that young. And he made a right. lot of movies. I mean, the man was very successful. Yeah. Uh, in his time, and a, and a lot of like quintessential films. Yes. Films. Yeah. A lot of classics yeah. that are still well known, particularly mm-hmm. um, his role as Cary Grant in Gone with the Wind. Uh, which is his greatest. <laughs> I can't believe there's nothing I love more than the sound of you the other day saying to Amanda, what about Gone with the Wind? <laughs> when she'd read Cary Grant's biography, that was amazing. Uh, it's like, I can't wait to see how this turns out. All right. Well, wiping the smile off my face because we have to tell a sad story now. And that's Brandon Lee, who was the son of famed action star Bruce Lee, a graduate of Boston's Emerson College who studied martial arts and drama and later studied at the Strasbourg Academy in New York. His film debut came with Kung Fu the Movie in 1986, followed by Showdown in Little Tokyo and Rapid Fire. He turned down the opportunity to play his dad in the biopic Dragon, choosing instead to star in the 1994 Alex Proyas film The Crow. What should have been a modestly popular fantasy film about an undead superhero became film history when Lee died during filming as the result of the mishandling of weapons on the set. It was 1993 and he was 28 years old. The film was completed with computer graphically enhanced scenes. He was born on this day in Oakland, California in 1965. How does that happen? Like, I don't understand these prop like these props that end up being these weapons. Like, did you hear about the uh, opera singer who had a knife? He was supposed yes. to slit his throat yeah. and they, they put the, uh, an actual knife as opposed to a prop knife. Yes. Crazy. Or it was too sharp a prop knife. Cause the guy didn't die. He did get his throat slit, but he didn't die. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they've, they've certainly made the rules around handling even the fakest of weapons very tight since yeah. Brandon Lee died. I mean, even I've done, independent plays where someone has a prop gun and it is very, very carefully handled by the entire crew. And that could have something to do with, um, you know, Brandon Lee, like it's all because uh, it was basically that they didn't check that the gun was empty because it had blanks in it. Right. But what, there was still a cartridge left in the gun and a piece of that cartridge is what got shot and that's what killed him. And so it was basically that they didn't check to make sure the gun was clear before using it. Wow. Yeah. It's very sad. Crazy. Yeah. Well, um, certainly a significant celebrant today, Bill. John Ford is one of the most admired filmmakers in Hollywood history, frequently cited as an inspiration by other directors who followed in his footsteps, including Akira Kurosawa. He began his career directing short films in his teens. In the teens. His, sorry, that's what I mean. Oh, sorry, in the teens. Um, not in his teens, yeah. but in the teens. Winning his first Oscar in 1935 for the IRA drama The Informer. But his best known, he's best known for being one of the most definitive directors of Westerns. His 1939 film Stagecoach considered the one that made the genre critically respectable, followed by My Darling Clementine, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, The Searchers, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. 
He still holds the record for most Best Director Oscars. His others for The Grapes of Wrath, How Green Was My Valley, and The Quiet Man. His career continuing until his final film, Seven Women, in 1966. He died seven years later at the age of 79. He was born on this day in Cape Elizabeth, Maine in 1894. Mm-hmm. What's Seven Women about? I don't know. I've never seen it. I, have, oh, I haven't no, seen but... a lot of his late stuff. Okay. Yeah. But he was really great. The Quiet Man is a favorite of mine. He is great. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca Kreskoff got her MFA at New York University before entering theater with the Steve Martin play Picasso at the La Panagile and her television debut on an episode of Law and Order SVU. On Broadway, she appeared in Lusen, no, Lausen Louis. She was a regular on the HBO series Hung and was a guest on Mad Men and Bates Motel. She was born on this day in Philadelphia in 1971. Is Louse and Louie a musical? Uh, it should be. If it's not, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Ter- well, listen, Terry Jones was a member of the Monty Python troupe who directed their films The Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and The Meaning of Life. An English major at Os- Oxford University, he performed comedy with fellow Python Michael Palin in the Oxford Review before meeting Eric Idle on the film Do Not, Just a- Do Not Adjust Your Set. Flying Circus debuted in 1969, and after the troupe's successful films, he directed Eric the Viking, The Wind in the Willows, and episodes of The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. His last appearance was in the film Absolutely Anything in 2015, five years before his death at the age of 77. He was born on this day in Cowlin Bay, Wales in 1942. Peter Salas had a lengthy career as an actor on the British stage and screen, beginning in the 40s and continuing through popular shows and films, such as Doctor Who, The VIPs, and The Incredible Sarah. But animation fans will know him best as the voice of Wallace in the very popular Ardman animation films and shows about the adventures of Wallace and Gromit. He first voiced the character in the Oscar-nominated short A Grand Day Out and continued through The Wrong Trousers, A Close Shave, and the shows Cracking Contraptions, World of Invention, and the Oscar-winning film The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. He was born on this day in Twickenham, England in 1921, and died in 2017 at the age of 96. Garrett Morris was a character actor who was was a cast member of Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 1980 played Jimmy for a season in the Jeffersons in the early 80s and appeared in the Conehead, Coneheads movie. How High and Ant-Man were also films he was in and the show Hunter, Martin, the Jamie Foxx show, and as Earl on Two Broke Girls. He was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for the film Jackpot. He was born on this day in New Orleans in 1937. A leading man famous for rugged roles, Stuart Whitman spent three years with the Army Corps of Engineers and 32 fights as a light heavyweight boxer before enrolling in L.A. City College and getting involved in acting. After touring the U.S. in the stage production of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, he began working in film and television, appearing in the films All I Desire, Brigadoon, and Hellbound before taking the leads in The Sound and the Fury, Murder Incorporated, and the 1961 film The Mark for which he was nominated for a Best Actor Oscar. Later roles included An American Dream, Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive, seven episodes of Fantasy Island, and guest spots on The A-Team, Simon and Simon, and Knott's Landing. His last appearance was in the TV movie The President's Man in 2000, after which he retired until his death last March at the age of 92. He was born on this day in San Francisco, California in 1928. 
Well, daughter of one of the most famous marriages in show business history, Lisa Marie Presley is the offspring of legendary musician Elvis Presley and actress Priscilla Presley. Um, she's rather well known for her own famous nuptials to Michael Jackson and Nicolas Cage, but is also a musician in her own right. Having released three studio albums between 2003 and 2012 that produced the singles Lights Out, Dirty Laundry, and Idiot. She has been the sole heir to her father's estate, including owning Graceland since 1980, and is the mother of actress Riley Keogh. Is that how you say her name, Bill? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, she was born on this day in Memphis in 1968. And Bill, did you ever hear the story of her mother's um, parties that she would go to where they would just inject um, silicone directly into her face? Into whose face? Uh, Lisa Marie's mother, Priscilla Presley. Oh, okay. The reason her face is all kind of uh, yeah, mashed yeah, up, yeah. or however you want to say it, is she used to go to these parties where people who weren't doctors would just be injecting <sighs> silicone directly into the God. face. Welcome yeah, to the seventies. Yeah. I know. Crazy. I also didn't know that Lisa Marie inherited his whole his whole estate. I, you know, like it's incredible that someone that wealthy died and there wasn't like a war of succession over his. Right. Uh, you know, because she inherited it jointly with his, with her grandparents, and then. Um, and then they died and that's why she became right. sole heir in 1980, but I had no idea. Yeah. Anyway, her daughter's an amazing, amazing, amazing actress. She blows me away oh, in really? everything she's in. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Character actress B.B. Besh never became famous as a lead, but she's given a number of performances you might recall, including as the mother to Kirk's son in Star Trek Three, and in the films Steel Magnolias, Tremors, and Who's That Girl? Plus, she earned a Razzie nomination for the film The Lonely Lady. On stage, she appeared in Fame, The Chinese Prime Minister, and Here Lies Jeremy Troy, and on television made guest appearances on ER and Murder, She Wrote earning an Emmy nomination for Doing Time on Maple Drive and as a guest on Northern Exposure. Her last appearance was on an episode of Melrose Place before her death from breast cancer in 1996 at the age of 54. One last film, California Myth, was released three years later. She was born on this day in Vienna, Austria in 1942. One of the greatest actors to ever appear on sitcom television. Indeed. Yep. Sherman Helmsley moved to New York after serving in the Air Force and worked as a post office clerk by day while pursuing acting at night. It was while appearing in the Broadway play Pearly on tour that he was spotted by Norman Lear and asked to make his television debut as George Jefferson on the series All in the Family. The success of that regular guest spot led to the Jeffersons getting their own spinoff for 11 seasons, which earned Helmsley a nomination for an Emmy and Golden Globe. He appeared in the films Ghost Fever and Club Fed before scoring another successful television show with Amen from 1986 to 1991, which he was also brilliant yep. in. Then he appeared in a number of guest spots on Designing Women, Family Matters, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, making his final appearance on an episode of House of Pain in 2011, a year before his death at the age of 74. He was born on this day in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1938. I'm currently going through the Jeffersons right now because it's on the CTV, and I cannot get enough of him. He is so good. You know, when, when people talk about comedic duos, you know, they talk about like all these male male duos, uh, Abbott and Costello, um, Laurel, Stan and, and, the, and the fat guy, whatever. And, you know, 
it, you know, Marla Gibb and him brilliant. on the Jefferson yeah. are so brilliant together, you know, and he's all there. They always kind of associate him and Isabel Sanford and she was great. Don't get me wrong, but him and Marla Gibb together yeah. were genius. We're dynamite. Well, it's partly, uh, unfortunately what happened is that because they brought Marla Gibbs on as a regular, she became the yeah. sparring partner. Cause in the first season of the Jeffersons, it's all, um, Louise giving him these amazing insults that are so, so funny. Right. And then once they brought, uh, Florence on Marla Gibbs, um, yep. Louise became a lot softer and it's only a shame because right. it, it doesn't show Isabel Sanford off nearly as well, but, yeah. uh, you know, she still won an Emmy for it. So, you know, and she's still brilliant. I just love that show. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway, it is great. Matt, uh, Marco, our next birthday celebrant is someone that we've talked about before, because I told you about how hot he was and you thought he had died in a drowning accident and he did not. Okay. Matt Latanzi had a brief attempt at stardom in the eighties because he had the most perfect body you've ever seen, making his debut as a dancer in the musical disaster Xanadu starring his girlfriend, Olivia Newton, John to whom he was later married for 11 years. He appeared in the films, rich and famous Grease 2 and starred in the 1983 sex comedy My Tutor, which is pure garbage, and I watched it because he's in it naked. Later, he had roles in That's Life and Roxanne and made his last appearance to date on the Australian series Paradise Beach in the 80s. He and Newton John divorced in 1995. He was born on this day in Portland, Oregon in 1959. Yeah, but didn't one of her husbands get yes, swept away by the okay. It was a different. He didn't get swept away. I think he. Uh, I think he committed suicide. Actually, I believe we yeah. said he was swallowed by the ocean. Is how we swallowed by the sea. Term, <laughs> swallowed by the sea is how we termed his death. Yeah. I shouldn't be laughing, but no, um, Matt Latanzi is uh, still alive and well. And I don't. I don't yeah. know what he does. Maybe he's just living off the royalties. I don't know, but um, I get the impression that he they're still on good terms because I've seen recent photos of like the two of them at events, their kids, you know, like their kids oh. plays or what? I don't know. Cool. So, yeah. That's, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. We recently rewatched a bit of uh, the blue lagoon bill uh, the other oh, day. Cause yeah. we found it on Netflix. Atkins, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. We're like, I'm like, do you remember this film? And we kind of remembered it. And I remember seeing it when I was far too young to be seen. Yep. And I forget that it takes place in like the, early 1900s. That's right. Or, or yeah. Like, it's like, it's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, Christopher Atkins has never done it for me. He's so the kind of guy that I, you would think that my pervy self would go for, but there's something about him that doesn't quite work. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But he, so in other words, he's no Matt Latanzi. No, he's no Matt Latanzi. But do you okay. remember how in the eighties when we were kids, there was like, there was just a whole, a whole set of movies that were like sex movies. you like, yeah. and to us, they we were like, oh my God, this is the promised land. I need to get through there and, and see what these movies contain, you know, even though they weren't even all that bad, but. I remember, remember like Blue Lagoon. I remember Private Resort yeah. with Johnny Depp. Um, like all these movies that seemed to me like they were just going to be full on porn. Do you remember Phoebe Cates in a film called Sahara, yes. which was basically Blue Lagoon, but it was in the Sahara. Yeah. And yes, I remember yeah. that. And she like showers, like she, she, <laughs> there's like a waterfall. I still remember it anyways. Probably far too young to be watching that too. Well, no, but so. these movies were also like exploitation of these young teenage girls, but we didn't notice because we were younger than them. So we didn't know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And I, I even remember the theme song to that film. Um, uh, was it called Sahara or Paradise? The film, the theme song was called "Take My Hand, It's Paradise." That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and I encourage you to listen to it. All right, last on our list, Phil. Uh, she has been working since her debut in two short films in 2010, but Julia Garner is quickly becoming one of the most sought-after actresses in film and television, beginning with her performances on the show The Americans 
Maniac, and Ozark, for which she was nominated for two Emmys. She's won she them, also, Oh, sorry. She won them. Shit. Sorry about that. She was nominated and she took them home. <clears throat> She's also starred in the films Grandma and this past year's disturbing, disturbing drama, The Assistant. This year, she will be seen on the show's the show Inventing Anna, and she was born on this day in the Bronx in 1994. And Bill, I see really good things for her to come. So, I, I guess so. Yeah, I, it wasn't until I saw her in The Assistant that I started to really warm up to her. Up until now, I've kind of been indifferent to her. Well, you know, it's safe to say she's no Matt Latanzi so. <laughs> or Phoebe Cates. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Oh, Jesus. Well, listen, Bill, that was the first of February. We anticipate some great birthdays this month. So continue to listen to Born on This Day. And enjoy your baked Alaska if you can. <laughs> I will. Oh, Bill, thank you so much. All right, see you tomorrow.